This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's first pray. Father, we come now to you, Lord, and We yield our eyes to you, the eyes of our spirit, and we say, Lord, give us sight like you gave those blind people sight this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 15, 21, 15, 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but... He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. It's always so interesting in this this, uh, narrative here in, in the Gospels, the book of Matthew here, to see the Lord as he goes from one side to the other side, from one pole to the other side. He's just finished in a, a conflict with, a, with an official delegation from Jerusalem. They challenge the Lord over the fact that his disciples had not been washing their hands before they ate. That subject that they touched on was more broad, more fundamental than just hand-washing It was a very important point because the religious leaders were holding the people under their control. They were controlling them by making them feel guilty over laws that were man-made, that they held the people in, which is stated to us in verse 2. It's the laws called the tradition of the elders. 
And as long as the religious leaders had the authority to dictate laws, they held the power of the people, which was their number one priority, their place, their position, their power, which they talked about in John 11, 48. John 11, 48, when the religious leaders said, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away our place. That's what they were so concerned about, losing power. And this is what they were the most afraid of, that the place of authority that they had, the place of being over the people would be taken away. And if their tradition of the elders was no longer revered, then their place of authority over the people would be taken away. And they felt that they had to fight. They had to fight with all that they had against anyone who challenged the tradition of the elders. The Lord was challenging their tradition of the elders, which, by the way, today is called the oral law. As a matter of fact, the difference between the verse 2, tradition of the elders, and verse 3, the commandment of God, all came down to two words. And those two words are inner and outer, inner and outer. The tradition of the elders put the spotlight on the outer, like the washing of the hands and the washing of pots and all the activities that you could and could not do on the Sabbath, whereas the commandment of God, on the other hand, put the spotlight on the inner, like the thoughts in verse 19, like the thoughts, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and that's the same difference between God and religion today. Religion says it's only about what you do. You must do the sacrament, and you must do this good work. I still remember when I was in Ethiopia one time in the lobby there of the Hilton Hotel in Addis Ababa, and there was this uh, priest with long robes and so forth like that from France, and I started to speak to him about how I came to Christ, and he said, well, that's all very good, but you must do the sacraments, he was explaining to me. That's religion. Religion says you can be righteous if you do this, and you can deserve heaven if you do this, and if you do the right things, and God says it's all about what you think. It's all about Proverbs 24.9, Proverbs 24.9, the thought of foolishness is sin. It's all about Matthew 5.28, Matthew 5.28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart, in his heart. Matthew 5.22, Matthew 5.22. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. God says a person is guilty before God for his thoughts of lust and anger. So the conflict between the Lord Jesus and what he had, this conflict with the religious leaders of the scribes and the Pharisees, all came down to this difference, and it was in essence, they rejected him. They rejected him, or simply put, in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, coming off the heels of this experience with the religious leaders, of coming unto his own, the Jewish religious leaders, the Lord leaves now this place and he travels over to the coast of the shores of the Mediterranean, which today is part of southern Lebanon, to an area called Tyre and Sidon, in verse 21. Verse 21, then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And when he reaches that area, when he reaches that area, he's approached, behold, a woman of came out, of the same coast, and cried unto him, saying, Lord, 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. So this word behold in verse 22, it's really giving us the same idea as surprise. Here's something totally unexpected. Behold, a surprise. A woman comes out to the Lord. Behold, a surprise. The woman's a Gentile. Behold, a surprise. The Gentile woman is a Canaanite. I mean, the Lord's a Jew, and the woman's a Canaanite. And the surprise is really the same surprise that another woman, another Gentile Samaritan woman, put it in John 4, 9. John 4, 9, the surprise comes through when she says, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So the surprise in verse 22 was that how was it that a person who was a woman of Canaan was coming to the Jewish Lord? For the Canaanites have no dealings with the Jews. And the woman was a woman of Canaan. She was a Gentile, which meant that as a Gentile, she was really in the position of Ephesians 2.11, of Ephesians 2.11, which says, remember that ye being in time past were Gentiles in the flesh by the circumcision, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So she was a Gentile, this woman, a Canaanite. She was without the Messiah. She was an alien to Israel. She was outside of God's promises of eternal life. She had no hope of God after death. She was without God in this life. She was far away from God. She was lost in idolatry, or she, her culture was idolatrous, which is described in Isaiah 45.20. Idolatry is described in Isaiah 45.20, which says, they have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. That phrase, they pray unto a God that cannot save. And yet this woman is very sincere. This reminds me, I can see it in my mind now, it was a, a one morning, it was a very bright, really beautiful, crisp, kind of cold, spring, sunny morning in Japan, which Japan has these beautiful mornings, uh, not in the summertime, but in the spring and autumn, but anyway. But this was one of those mornings in Osaka, Japan, when I was with my colleague and we were at the Osaka Hilton right across from the train station and we had, had breakfast and we were out, it was 8 a.m., we were setting off for a day of all-day meetings with Sumitomo Diagnostics and, in Osaka and opened the door to the, to the hotel and we were going out on the sidewalk to, and there was this woman and she was standing there in front of the uh, little uh, plantings that the hotel had set up there and the hotel had a brass Buddha sitting there in that, that little kind of planted area and right along the sidewalk. And that woman was distraught. And that woman was crying her heart out in front of this statue. And that woman was using both of her hands and just rubbing the Buddha like this. And she was saying, please, please, please. She was saying, kodesai, kodesai, kodesai. And she's described, that woman is described in Isaiah 45.20. Isaiah 45.20, we just read they have no knowledge 
that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. She was praying to a God that couldn't save. She was very sincere. She was very earnest. She had no knowledge. She was praying to a God that could not save her, and she was praying to a God that could not hear her because that idol was one of the many idols in Japan that God says about in Psalm 135, 17. Psalm 135, 17, they have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. And that's the picture of a Gentile without God. I wish so much that I could have helped that woman. I just said to my colleague, said, what is she doing? What is she doing? He said, come on, let's go. But I couldn't, and I can't speak Japanese. So well, when I came home, I, I had those little gospel booklets that translated into Japanese. And then when I returned to Japan on my next trip, whenever I would ride the bullet train down between Tokyo and Osaka, I would stand at the front there of the train car, and I would just pass them out one to another. Explain how Jesus Christ was the true God, always remembering that woman and the futility of what she was doing. Well, as the Jewish Lord Jesus is now traveling into this Gentile area, like I was traveling into Osaka, Japan, the Lord encountered this woman in verse 22, and that's really the impact of the behold, the woman of Cana. Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So he encounters this crying woman, like I encountered that Japanese woman crying out on the, the, the sidewalk there in Osaka. And whereas the religious leaders, they had intentionally encountered the Lord, that's the first part of this chapter, and now there's a woman of Canaan who also intentionally is encountering the Lord. But what a difference there was in those two encounters. The first encounter with the elite, the religious elite, they had no interest in getting help from Christ. They didn't see themselves as needing help. But in this second encounter, by contrast, this woman came to the Lord to help her. And this is the characteristic mark of a person who is going to be helped by the Lord Jesus, the person who is going to be saved by the Lord Jesus, the person who is going to be cleansed from his sin, the person who's going to be adopted by God, the person who is going to really go to heaven when he dies. And it's all described. The difference is really encapsulated in verse 22. Sorry, verse 25. Verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You know, in the last service, Ken was talking about trying to get into the mind of people who are coming around for a garage sale and trying to find out what their mind is, trying to get their mind focused on God. And Ken was expressing how difficult it was as they were running away. The difference is between these two groups of the first part of the chapter, which is the religious leaders who had no intention of needing help because they didn't see themselves as needing help. They had no intention of getting help from Christ because they didn't feel they needed help. This woman wanted help from Christ because she knew she needed help. So the mind frame of the two is altogether different. One sees themselves of I have need of nothing except to straighten you out, and the other says I have need so deep needs, and that's the difference. So we read in verse 22 that she cried to the Lord, and the fact that she cried to him paints us a picture of a person who's not standing next to him, but she's pulled away. She does have distance from the Lord because in her heart, she feels like, I can't get close to him. I can't get close to the Lord Jesus. Even though she didn't have the knowledge of God, as we just described in Ephesians 2, she sensed inside of her, there's something lacking. There's something needing for me to get close to God. 
she seems to have this knowledge that the high priest it described in Hebrews 9.7, Hebrews 9.7, where it says, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. Always with blood, always with blood. Suicide to walk into the Holy of Holies without blood. And she senses how far she is from God. And she knew she didn't have what she needed to come to God. And everyone that comes to God needs a sacrifice, a sacrifice for sin, as it says in Hebrews 9.22, Hebrews 9.22. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. And the wonderful thing about the blood needed for remission, the blood that was needed to come to God, the blood that was needed to come before God, is that it's a gift. God said, I gave it to you. What are you doing trying to find it in some other place? I gave it to you. And, and that's really what Leviticus 17.11 is saying. Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you already. I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So it's the blood that's a gift. The gift is God so loved the world that he gave, all wrapped up, gave his only begotten son. That lamb that came from God called the Lamb of God in John 129. John 129, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb from God, which takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that was given for you from God with a big card on it that says, to you from God. So she stands afar off and she cries to Christ and she comes with a cry and her cry is, in verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, because her daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. So she came for mercy, she looked for mercy, and she appealed to Christ on two levels. She appealed to Christ on two levels. First, she appealed to Jesus on the level of calling Jesus Lord, calling Jesus God. Verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord. The words, O Lord, in verse 22, is not just her saying, sir, you'll never find, you'll never find the scribes and the Pharisees ever calling Jesus Lord. No, you won't. When a person called Jesus Lord, they were calling Jesus God. Or put it in another way, they were saying that the name of God is Jesus when they called Jesus Lord. They were calling on the name of the Lord, just like the prophet Elijah, when he was standing up there on Mount Carmel with the false prophets of Baal there also, those idolaters, and they, he challenged this one man, Elijah, challenged all those prophets of Baal over the name of God. That's what he did in 1 Kings 18.24. 1 Kings 18.24, when Elijah says, call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. A person can only be saved if he calls Jesus God, as stated in Acts 2.21. Acts 2.21. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the importance of her calling Jesus Lord in verse 22. But in her cry to God, to Jesus, she also appeals on another second level, on another name, which she calls him 
thou, you son of David. She says in verse 22, verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. So here she's calling Jesus the son of David or the Messiah. By calling Jesus God, she's saying, you have the power to help me. That's the first part. Lord, is you have the power to help me. By calling Jesus the son of David, she's saying, you have the will to help me. You have the will to help me because that's what the Messiah is all about. The Messiah is all about for you, for you, for you, helping us. Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So by calling Jesus, thou Son of David, she's saying that Jesus has grace to help her, has grace to help her. See, by calling him the Son of David, she's saying that he's a fountain of grace, a fountain of grace. John 1.17, John 1.17 says, the law, the Torah, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, I was seeing on TV that the head of this Shield of David organization, it's going to be a rally this afternoon at 3 o'clock for against anti-Semitism out in El Cajon. But anyway, I'm not promoting that right now, I'm just telling you something. But the man on television was, uh, who organized this, this from the Shield of David, his name was Ben Moshe, Ben Moshe, which means son of Moses. Jesus is never called a son of Moses because Moses represents the law. And for us, Moses represents the law that we failed to keep. Moses represents the law that condemns us. Moses does not represent the law that saves us which is why John 1.17 says that Jesus is contrasted with Moses because in John 1.17, there is a choice that's embedded in that verse, a choice of how we're going to approach God when it says, in John 1.17, is a choice between coming to God through the law that Moses gave or coming to God through the grace that Jesus offers. And this woman chose to come to God through the grace and mercy that Jesus offers. She did not come and say, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of Moses. She didn't say that. Because David in the Bible represents mercy. And actually there's a phrase in the Bible, it's called the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David, Isaiah 55, three, Isaiah 55, three, incline your ear and come unto me, here your soul shall live and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Acts 13, 34, Acts 13, 34, as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Mercies of David. David represents mercy. Why? Because David's life was always so much in trouble for you that he was constantly receiving the mercy of God. David was saved so many times by mercy. He says in Psalm 57.1, David says, Psalm 57.1, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. My soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of the wings, thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. As a matter of fact, Israel, the name Israel, the person Israel, was born on one day in Genesis 32 when Jacob cried out to God for mercy. It says in Genesis 32.10, 32.10, 
Jacob said, I'm not worthy of the least of, thy, of all the mercies and of the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.